said this morning or earlier, um, you can just turn on. Um, you can turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter seven, and that's where our first point is going to start. Uh, but this morning we are continuing in a series. It's, there's really six messages all together in this series called 2020 Vision. This is your church. And this morning we're going to be looking and talking about individual servanthood. Uh, the title of the message is, We Were Served, Therefore We Serve. And as we think about that, it comes from this idea of Jesus. In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verse 45, it says that even the Son of Man came to serve and not be served, but to give his life as a ransom for many. And so let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this morning, Jesus, and I thank you for this time that we can come and, Lord, get into your word this morning. And God, I pray that you would speak to us, God. We need to hear from you. And God, I pray that you would empower me by your Holy Spirit to speak your truths to your people. God, uh, maybe even those things that are specific to this service, to the people that are in this service, God. And so we just thank you for this time, Lord, and we ask that you would speak, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. <clears throat> well, as we think about this and look at this, what is a servant? So now, according to Webster's Dictionary of 1828, it's a dictionary that I like to use. Um, um, it gives some really good definitions. And according to that dictionary, it says that a servant is a person, a male or female, who attends another for the purpose of performing uh, menial offices for him. Or it's a person really who is serving voluntarily of their own free will. And so then when you think about that perspective of servanthood, so, so what does it matter in the life of the follower of, of Jesus? What's the big deal? Because in our culture today, the reality is there's a lot of people that, that serve, or I should say more rightly, volunteer for a lot of things, uh, for a lot of different things. Now, when I look at the word volunteer, under that same dictionary, it gives us this a little bit specific definition of what volunteer is. It actually, the original word actually has more of a military context to it. And here's what that definition of a volunteer is. And it is um, someone who actually is entering into military service voluntarily, but at the same time, there is an opportunity for promotion, for acknowledgement or affirmation, and in some ways for compensation, right? I mean, I was talking to a couple of, there's a couple of kids I know who are entering into the military and they're discussing what they're making per month. And I was like, whoa, as they go and they're going to serve our country and so forth. But the idea is they have went under, not under compulsion, but they have voluntarily entered into that service. But again, with the original context of the word, they're receiving compensation. So now as I think about these kinds of things, as I think about uh, that form of volunteerism, right, over the years I have witnessed and I have seen, not just with believers, but also non-believers as well and alike, where we volunteer for things, but the reality is doing so hoping for promotion or recognition or affirmation for their service. As they think about that, really, isn't that then compensation? When we are volunteering, hoping for something in return. Now, as I think about that in this context of the church, because really, according to the scriptures, that's not the kind of service we see. 
And I think I've said it before as well. It's like, you know, we're not looking for volunteers in the church. Really what we're looking for and desiring is servants. People who are served. Because the scriptures, when we look at it this perspective, what God wants for followers of Jesus are people who serve because they have already been compensated. Right? As Pastor Greg Laurie puts it this way, I look at this quote, <clears throat> he says, Jesus came to pay a debt he did not owe because we owed a debt we could not pay. I love that. Really, that payment that came to us came in the form of the cross. And as you think about it from that perspective, right, we were served. And so therefore, we serve. And so this morning, we're going to look at three things about the why of personal servanthood. Now, please don't mistake, I'm not looking at servanthood, to, and this, when I say personal servanthood, not to make it individualistic, right, in our, in our teaching number five and number six, we'll deal with servanthood as a whole in the context of the local church, because we do that together. Serving should be togetherness, but in this regard, this context, I'm more speaking about the person who is a follower of Jesus and how that affects really your own personal walk and hence you know, the subtitle, if you will, is personal servanthood. So there's three things we're going to look at this morning. The first point is if you're forgiven much, you will love much. Right? If you're forgiven much, you will love much. And we'll look to Luke chapter 7, verse 36 to 50. Uh, the second point we'll see is serving has no strings attached. And we'll look at, hold on, hold on, Matthew 23, verse 1 through 12. And then the third thing we'll look through now, we are unprofitable servants. And that'll come from Luke chapter 17, verses 5 through 10. And so let's go to our first one. If you're forgiven much, you will love much. Now let's read and you'll see how this is set up for this first point. So in Luke chapter 7 verse 36, this is the story. It says, <clears throat> excuse me, then one of the Pharisees asked him, asked Jesus, to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city was a sinner. And when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil. And stood at his feet behind him, weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And so he said, teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? And Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. 
You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, as we look at this, you might think, well, what in the world does this message here or these passages have to do with serving? Well, I believe that serving starts with love. That's where serving starts from. Not love that you give, per se, but love that you receive. I believe the springboard for why we serve and, who, and the way we serve all comes from the love that Jesus has gave to each one of us. I mean, look at the idea here behind this and this lady here. I mean, there is definitely a sense of vulnerability. Jesus lays it out in verses 45 through 7. Like, man, we came to this house to eat. This woman comes in with oil and just with tears. She's bawling. She's crying. She's on her knees. Uh, her tears are falling onto the feet of Jesus. And, 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 and now she's drying his feet with her hair. You can see this is a pretty messy situation. But as you think about this aspect here, this woman who, rightly so, it starts off, Matthew says she was a sinner. The Pharisees, they look at Jesus like, man, if Jesus knew who this woman was, this sinner. Well, I think she had the right perspective. See, she came as a woman who was broken and ruined. The, the, the more correct uh, translation of that word sinner for this context that she's a prolificate, right? She was ruined in her morals, her, her principles out the door. She knew exactly what she was. And she came in with nothing to lose. And it was from that point that we see that she came in to serve, to serve Jesus. Isn't it interesting that, that here we have this woman washing his feet in this act of servant, and then on the night that Jesus would be betrayed, he did the same thing to his disciples. He sat them at the table, and the Bible says that you know, he took off his outer garment, he got on his knees, took up a cloth and a basin, and then began to wash the feet of the disciples. And they were freaked out by it. It's like, hey, what are you doing? This is weird. I've been a part of a foot washing service years and years ago. It was weird. Very humbling, especially because I don't like my feet. It's, they're really ugly. And so I was very self-conscious. And so I was going there and the pastor's washing my feet and it felt awkward. But isn't it interesting? And then this kind of thing, you begin to realize, she begins to realize Hopefully, in the light of who we are, we get to realize the point in which we serve. Here's the thing, when we look at this. This woman knew what kind of woman she was. She was a sinner, correctly, she was. And so then here's the question, do you know this about yourself? Now, on that level, we can be like, of course, we're all sinners. Yeah, I mean, the Bible says that, right? We've all fallen short of the glory of God. But sadly, in many ways, we have an inflated view of ourselves. We say that by also then saying, I am a sinner, but man, I am not like them. 
I'm not like those young kids. I'm not like those old people. I'm not like my peers. And so we began to kind of like look at all these different levels of what we would say are sinners. But in the big picture, we're like, of course we are sinners. And part of that problem is because of who we are in the church. We have two, I believe, different types of people within the church, within the body of Christ. Right? You have two types of believers or followers of Jesus. Those that were born and bred in the church. If I say that, you probably know what that means, right? You were raised in the church, right? You were, that's all you know. You've grown up. It's just kind of like I was saying earlier, you know, my kids would fall under that category. They were born and bred. They've grown up. They have no understanding or realization of the life that I grew up in, of having rowdy uncles and living in the hood and all these kinds of things. That's foreign. We can watch it on movies or something. I don't know. But it's foreign. Those are born and bred in the church. And then we have those that are converts that are in the church. And I would probably put myself in that category. I was converted to Christ. So I knew about who Jesus was and and we had the crucifixes and things like that. But I was converted to Christ. I didn't grow up in the church or didn't grow up with religion or anything like that at all. I knew I was a wretched sinner. I was lost and running from God. And then I was converted to Christianity. I was converted to be a follower of Jesus. But then at the same time, sadly, those two realities actually then distort our view. They actually help us have the wrong thinking of ourselves. Because when, like this woman, and, and, and rightly so, right, she who's been forgiven much, loves much. And we think, yeah, I grew up in that. I don't, I don't get all that. But here's the, here's the thing. Jesus, Jesus put us all in the same playing field. He put us all in the same boat. And that's the thing we have to understand when we go into this idea of serving God. We all start from the same place, whether we realize it or not, because Jesus leveled the playing field. Look at Matthew real quick. Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. Right? In Matthew chapter 5, verse 27, this is what Jesus said. He said, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. Born and bred, right? That was the law. And all these people grew up with the law, the commandments of Moses, born and bred. But then look what he does. He flips it on them and says, I'm going to take it actually a step further. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So what does that mean? It means that we all start from the same playing field. Whether you actually physically have gone and committed adultery or in your heart you're looking at this woman and saying, man, I desire her. Jesus says, it's all the same now. And so then what does that say then about us? It puts us in the same starting point. That all of us need to come to the fact that we are all like that woman. Whether born and bred or converted, our sins have brought separation between us and God. 
And it becomes then a springboard. Right? This woman here, if you look at it from this point, it's almost like identifying with this woman, right? Because he goes to Peter and he says to her, do you see this woman? Look how she's, she's washed my feet. She's wiped them with her hair. Therefore, in verse 47, he says, Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. See, that's where service starts from. We have been forgiven much. We have been forgiven over a multitude of sin, whether you were born and bred or you were converted. You see, that's what the Bible says there, that we have been compensated already. That our service springs from that thing, that the Bible says that God has given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And apart from Christ, we were lost. That's the springboard. Service then becomes a response to the love of Jesus. Becomes a response to what he's done. And what he continues to do in our lives. When we, when we began to get real with ourselves and we began to, to look at our own sin. And how we'll, we'll come so readily, right? As, as the writer of Hebrews says, into the throne room of God to seek help in that time of need. And, and it says there, we can come boldly into that throne room of grace. That throne room of grace that becomes a springboard. Look, at the, and I'm going to give you two, quickly, quickly, two definitions of servanthood. Now understand that again, these are three things that I'm covering with you this morning. But really, truly, this is just a, just a tip of the iceberg of servanthood. I would encourage you, obviously, search the scriptures yourself. Um, I would recommend two books, two that I've read and I really love. One of them really changed my life. Uh, first one is On Being a Servant of God by Warren Wiersbe. That's really, really good. And then the next is uh, Ministry in the Image of God by Stephen Siemens. And I want to give you a quote from the first book, On Being a Servant of God by Warren Wiersbe. And this is what he says about ministry. Because really, you can interchange ministry and servant, those two words, in the context of our Christian lives. And he says this, Ministry takes place when divine resources meet human needs through loving channels to the glory of God. I love that. And especially underline the word loving. When divine resources meet human needs through loving channels to the glory of God. Then look at the next one. This one is by Stephen Stevens, as I mentioned before. And here's what he says once again about ministry. The ministry, the, the servanthood that we've entered in. He says the ministry we have entered is the ministry of Jesus Christ. The Son to the Father through the Holy Spirit for the sake of the church and the world. Whoa, it's intense, huh? Um, and so you look at that, and, and rightly so, I highlight that because look at one key phrase that he says. The ministry we have entered is the ministry of Jesus Christ or the service of Jesus Christ. That's what we've entered. It belongs to him. And so we have these two definitions that really set it up because the reality is if you're forgiven much, you will love much. And we realize that Jesus, the original servant, gave himself in service to humanity. He came to serve, not to be served. 
which then becomes a springboard. Which brings us then to point number two. Serving has no strings attached. Serving has no strings attached. Look at Matthew chapter 23. We'll look there. In Matthew 23, we come to verses 1 through 12 is is where we're, we're being set up for this. Then Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do. But do not do according to their works. For they say and do not do. For they bind heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on men's shoulders. But they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do to be seen by men. They make their flactories broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. They love the best places at the feast, the best seats in the synagogues, greetings in the marketplaces, and to be called rabbi by men. But you do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, the Christ, and you are all brethren. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. And do not be called teachers, for one is your teacher, the Christ. But he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. And whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now you look at this and at first glance, it didn't start out this way, right? When we look at the Pharisees and, this, and, and, and these teachers of the law, if you go back to like Numbers and, and you see the building of the temple and when God was giving them the direction on how to dress the priest, there was symbolism. There was this, this holiness that was around it. But by this time, things had changed. And so we, now we see these examples of these men who really in many ways are serving with strings attached. So then what's to be gained, if you will, from serving people? If like point one, right, we have the correct view of ourselves, the, 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 the right springboard of why we serve, our perspective should change when serving God. Because the reality is, right, we are all lost, but then we were found. And there is nothing hidden from the Lord, and yet he still poured out his love on us. I mean, I mean rightly so, right, in, the, in the, that other passage, the, the Pharisees, man, if he knew what kind of woman she was. He did. He did, and he still poured out his love. He did, and he still, with tender care, allowed himself to sit there and allow this woman to serve, who in some translations would not just call her absent of all principles and morals, but was an actual prostitute. And yet he allowed that. And so as I said in the intro, we serve because we have all been compensated. We don't serve Jesus to get to receive. No, in fact, it's a response to his grace. And isn't that so backwards from the world, right? Because in the world, we, we do jobs and we get projects and we get contracts. And then we complete those contracts, those projects, and then we get paid and so forth. But in God's economy, the starting point for us as humans to serve in response to him, it starts with us first and foremost being 
compensated. God giving to us. Pouring out His grace. When you think about that, as followers of Jesus, by faith we believe. And that's been given to us freely. Ephesians chapter 2 makes it clear, it's by grace you have been saved. And so the, now, the life that Paul later on was in Galatians, and the, now, the life that I now live, I live in service to Jesus. My life as a response to that God's great grace. Serving God. So then if you look at it this way, serving God then with strings attached is like trying to get paid double for the job you're doing. Like I've done my job, get paid. But I want to get paid again. But you've already done your job. He goes, yeah, but I want to charge double. It doesn't work that way. You went really from being a servant to a volunteer. And yet we can, we can do that all the time. Let me ask you, how many of you, and this might be some rowdy for some, how many of you, when you give, let's say give, you give a gift, whether it's to friends or family or loved ones, whatever, how many of you are waiting for the thank you card? How many? <laughs> You're all like, I'm waiting for the thank you card. So messed up. <laughs> now, look, don't get me wrong. And one aspect, right, let's go on the flip side of that. Yes, it is good manners, and it is definitely courteous. It's something to teach our kids, right? Hey, they give you a gift? Yeah, write a card and say thank you. That's a blessing. But for us as followers of Christ, we're called to just give without expecting anything in return. What if they don't write you a card? Does that change your love for that person then because they didn't give you a thank you card? Does that, does that change? No, because what it does is it actually makes us check our heart because as believers in Christ, man, truly, and this might sound cliche because that was like a big saying last year on InstaWorld and everything, the best is truly yet to come. The, the best is still yet to come. And what it does then do for us as followers of Jesus, we're called to give without any strings attached because we as followers of Christ have already been given. We've been given the very best. We've been given his son, Jesus. And if we look at that perspective and we put it in light of the world, the best for us as followers of Christ is still yet to come. So then, what does that then mean to those who don't follow Jesus? Those who are our friends, our neighbors, our family that we give. And now we're closing the door because they didn't send me a thank you card. Why didn't they send me a thank you card? I'm never going to send that gift again. You know, or whatever the case may be. I mean, I mean, look, look at this. Look at the scriptures here. In chapter 23, you have these verses. Right? In verse 4, right? What do they do? Do as I say, not as I do. Verse 5, it's eye service for show. They did it for show. Verse 6, for admiration and affirmation. Right? Verse 7, for titles. For titles. 
I'm telling you, even some of these right here, these four right here, when you look at it in the context of the church, have over and over divided and created division within the church. Because in some form or another, our giving of our time, our talent, or our treasure in some way, we have given, if we're honest with ourselves at times, with some of these waiting for that in return. Looking for that time. Looking for that affirmation. Looking for the little plaque on, I built this table for the church. Why couldn't my name just be put on there? And, and, and God forbid. I mean, that's no, nobody in this church has ever come to me and says, hey, I fixed those doors, so, so do I get some name? Because my company, I mean, if my company did, we would have charged you a lot. No one has ever done that. Praise the Lord. And I say that kind of jokingly, but also so then... It reveals the motive of our hearts. Hopefully then it switches. So then, there's, and then really, what can man do to us? If, truly, if we are truly giving and serving simply out of, look what God has done to me. I was that woman on my hands and my knees, washing the feet of Jesus because I deserved nothing. And he could see right into the depths of my soul. And so when we have that serving, not because we want to love, but serving because he loved us, it changes everything. In fact, look what uh, Warren Risby says about this, uh, on this aspect. Here's what he says. If we aren't careful, we can minister in such a way that we exploit the needs of others to get ourselves recognition, position, titles, honors, and privileges. True servants of God help others whether they themselves get anything out of it or not. The concern is only that God be glorified and people trust Christ. Man. You know, when I think about this as followers of Jesus, service once again becomes a response because the original servant Because of the original servant, when we serve our fellow believer or the person who doesn't have a relationship with God, we open the doors to response. I mean, and this is kind of like a little side note, but I think, you know, why, like, for example, the Harvest Fest is such a a great example of that. Because people are smart. When they walk in, they know that it takes a lot of time and talent to cover this whole wall with a mural. They see that. They know it costs time. When they come and enjoy those tacos, free to them, but they know it costs someone. And we're not saying, okay, if you partake of Harvest Fest, sign here, please, because you must attend this coming Sunday. (laughs) You know? We're not going to do that. But how many times, think about this, how many times have you... Just, just in an example, as a reminder, where you've given with no strings at all whatsoever, totally wiped out of your mind. When we do that, when you have done that for your friends or family or people who don't know the Lord, it blows people away. Because who does that anymore? Give. No expectation to return. Give. With just no, like, like you owe me, so to speak. You know, you see that all the time. Like, here you go. But you owe me one. Like, no, take it back then. Take it back. Right? 
It opens the doors. It softens the heart. We give freely with no strings attached. We serve freely with no strings attached. Because that's how Jesus gave. I mean, we think about, okay, so it cost us a little money, and we didn't get a thing. It cost us a little bit of time and we didn't get any appreciation. It cost us a little bit of sweat and we didn't get any appreciation. But when we think about in the light of Jesus, who took it to the next level, who as he's on the cross is like, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. And he sweat. He sweated great drops of blood. He opened his arms I mean, if there was a time that I feel like in my human, uh, humanness to be like, okay, Lord, you, you were owed that one, would be to be sarcastic, right, with the guy on the cross who's like slamming him, you know, like, oh, you said you were God, come down from there. But even in, in his death and even in his lack of breath, surely you will see me today in paradise. So then it's a call for us as followers of Jesus, man. That, that can really change people's lives. And then it almost like in the light of our everyday life, who are we then to hold a grudge, to be bitter? Man, I was like that woman on my knees. Born and bred or converted, I was like that woman, same level, same playing field giving freely to me, recognizing that I have been lost. My principles are out the door. Which brings us then to point number three. We are unprofitable servants. We are unprofitable servants. Right, you look to Luke chapter 17. I remember years ago, a really sweet elder from the church that I used to attend, uh, 20 years ago, I think. He gave me this, and I think it went right over my head. In Luke 17, verses 5 through 10. Here's what it says. And the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And so the Lord said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea and it would obey you. And which of you having a servant plowing or tending sheep will say to him when he has come in from the field, Come at once and sit down to eat. But will he not rather say to him, Prepare something for my supper and gird yourself and serve me till I have eaten and drunk and afterward you will eat and drink. Does he think that servant because he did the things that were commanded of him? I think not. So likewise you, when you have done all those things which you are commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do? Whoa, okay. So here's this deal. So here are these, these disciples. They, they, they come to him and they're asking, Lord, increase our faith. Now the reason they're doing this is right before that, Jesus is having a conversation with them. And he's like saying, hey, if someone sins against you or someone offends you, forgive them. But here's the deal. If they sin against you multiple times and they offend you multiple times, you need to still forgive them. And so then rightly so, they're like, well, holy smokes. Well, Lord, we can't do that. Increase our faith. Then we need big faith to do that. Because it takes faith to do that. But interestingly enough, faith then connects them to servanthood. 
Like, where did that come from? He, he connects the two, right? He connects the two, increase our faith, right? I mean, have you ever desired, and I know you have, I'm sure you have, like, Lord, I want to grow in my faith. Lord, I, 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 want to, I want to do faith things. I want to do big faith things. Lord, I want to, yes, increase my spiritual knowledge of me as a, as a follower of Jesus, increase my faith, but Lord, increase my faith. Man, I want to be like this mountain, you go into the sea. Or in the example that he used there, mulberry tree, pop, and right into the sea. He's like, okay, you can do that. So now, you be a servant. It's like, What? So all of a sudden, there then becomes a connection between growing in our faith and then growing as a servant of God. Wow. Because here's the deal. Just like with money, you cannot separate giving with our faith in Christ. They're inseparable, as we saw in the scriptures last week. And then now the same connection is being made with us growing in faith and that it comes to servanthood, to serving. There's no way around it. Serving puts you in unpredictable and stretching situations. And it can times, at times for sure, be a humbling experience. There's one thing that Pastor Chuck used to say. He said it, you know, at the Bible college. And he would say it on some of his tapes that we would listen to going through Bible college. This is what he said. He said, this is uh, the best because I couldn't find the quote because I would hear him say this all the time. But here's what he said. You know you're a servant when you respond as a servant when you're treated like a servant. One more time. You know you're a servant when you respond as a servant when you're treated like a servant. That's a heavy deal. So as you look at that, there is a connection. Two things. If you have faith of a mustard seed, bam, okay. But then look at the story. Look at the way he unfolds the story. There is a sense of humility that's tied. Because he calls them unprofitable servants. Look at the response that he tells us to have. When you've done all these things, when you do all these things, should you, and here he is, be thanked? No. You're just doing what was your duty to do. You were doing your duty. You were being an unprofitable servant. The idea here is that because the, the prophet does not begin until the servant goes beyond his obligation, a servant owes all things. We are indebted to Christ because of his rich love for us. And as we are, man, we're not owed anything. We don't demand thanks or appreciation. No, we are doing our duty as followers of Christ. Now, here's the thing. So do we walk around now like with this like self-deprecation, like, oh, I don't deserve nothing no more, and all this kind of stuff? I think therein lies as we humble ourselves, as we rightly recognize who we are as followers of Jesus. I love the way uh, Stephen Siemens in his book, he quotes another pastor, I think that really puts it well, and I'll read that to you here. This is what he says. Get to the side. And Go. Is there anyone back there? Oh, there you go. Okay, here we go. This is from that pastor speaking that he quoted. He says, The greatest moment in my life was when I discovered that God expects nothing more or less of Stephen Olford than abject failure. And even more importantly, 
Only one person can live the Christian life, and that is Christ Himself. And only as I trust Him to live His life in me, can I possibly love the quality of life that satisfies the heart of God and challenges the world in which I have witnessed. And that's good. Because in a weird and odd and way that just works in the spiritual world, when we're serving with no strings attached, when we're serving because we've been forgiven much of so much, that's when we finally allow God to serve through us. And we get to partake then in the things that Christ has done, who nobody said, hey, thank you for doing that for us. And it was just simply a service of Mark 10, 45, that the Son of Man came to serve and not be served, but to give himself as a ransom for many, right? We look to the ultimate servant of all. It is his one act of service to all humanity that propels us forward, right? We're forgiven much, so we love much. We serve with no strings attached. We serve because without Jesus, we are unprofitable servants. We serve because it's an opportunity to point to the bigger picture. In Philippians 2, verse 5, Paul says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. The one who humbled himself and became a servant for all of us, so that we would no longer be a servant to sin, but sons and daughters of the King. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this morning, Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for your word. And God, work in us, Lord. I 